Welcome to the Media Mavens Podcast. This is the podcast where you'll find the latest and greatest trends, topics, and tribulations with industry leaders. And now, here is your host, the CEO of Access Entertainment and the Media Excellence Awards, the original media maven herself, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment and your host for Media Maven's podcast today. And I'm here with my co-host, Michelle Koshman, COO for AMB Publicity. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Sarah Dahl. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? Just chilling, catching up on all my innovation news. <laughs> I feel like it's so funny. We have this podcast. We always start over new. How's it going? Like five times in one day. But this is a special guest we have on today talking about innovation and tech. We've been talking about tech, I think, all day long. But I yeah. want to bring on our guest, Jeremy Toman, who's the chief product officer of the innovation team at Warner Media. And all cool shit that happens over at Warner falls into Jeremy's domain. So, Jeremy, <laughs> welcome to Medium Haven Podcast. Nice to be here. I think, by the way, that's exactly what I have on LinkedIn. So, well yeah. Done. All the cool I, shit under innovation. And she was just reading that right off of LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to say, because we're on a recorded podcast, Jeremy, so you know everybody will be listening, but Jeremy Toman has the cutest Zoom photo of an alpaca Ooh. and a Star Wars face mask. So anybody who's listening, we're off to a good start. <laughs> yeah, check out the photo. <laughs> but I don't want to confuse any listeners. I'm the one wearing the Star Wars face mask, not the alpaca. <laughs> There you go. It's the cutest photo. You may have to use that on Apple and Spotify. But Jeremy, okay, so thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you here. We were just chatting away prior to this. What's going on over at Warner? I am so in love with the fact that you fall in line with us in the intersection of tech and entertainment and innovation. But you know, like you said earlier, it's such a big company over at Warner. And the fact that you're in that innovation team is tremendous. Tell us what's going on over there on innovation, what you're working on, you know, give us something good to talk about. Because I think with COVID, I mean, everybody, everybody shut down. Movies aren't open. People, it's just all about content now and driving eyeballs and communities. And Michelle and I have been talking about this, God, for weeks about communities and COVID and how people should be more creative and innovative coming out of this. Tell us what you're doing over um, as CPO. Is that the Star Wars? Is that why you have the Star Wars mask? Because Chief Product Officer is CPO? I, you know, I wish I could have drawn that one myself, but <laughs> no, I, I was never quite so clever. <laughs> the reality check at, like, at Warner, we don't have enough time to talk about all the cool innovation stuff the company is doing. And it's a tremendous organization. You know, I joined it about a year ago now and almost six, well, not even six months ago, about four months ago. We're lucky enough to get a new CEO by way of uh, Jason Kyler of, of Hula background. And he's really been doing a tremendous amount of work of bringing all of that innovative culture to a company that, granted, has already embraced technology innovation, but really trying to effectively, I think, one-up our own efforts. And so it's a great time to be part of this company and, candidly, a great time to be on the innovative side. Right? We're looking at what you were just saying is where is, that, where is the new intersection of media and technology, and especially how are these current times changing that, right? The What are we experimenting with because of COVID and the challenges that it faces? You know, as a product guy, to me, every challenge just means there's some new opportunity down the road. It might be a, uh, a tough path to get there, but good things are going to come out of this one way or another. 
Yeah, I think that's the good thing about the silver linings of all of this is, you know, if you can't come out in order to thrive and survive, you're not going to be sustainable unless you get more creative and strategic. And not that it's been a great thing. It's been a horrible, but at the same time, it's given us so much time at home to revamp, rethink, to recreate what we want to do. And there's got to be, I'd be in shock if I did not see some very innovative, great stuff somewhere in March, April, coming out of this whole pandemic. Yeah, you know, I, I think we're already seeing it. It's it's no, you know, there's no real hidden secrets out there of what's going on in media right now. We're we're obviously faced with issues around movie theaters and getting people, you know, it, it's not it's not the right time for that for most people in most countries right now. So it forces that creativity to come in, especially with companies like ours, where a lot of the content investments might have already been made. So I think watching some of the experimentations with home releases is fascinating. You know, the launch of HBO Max earlier this year, HBO Max is in a lot of homes already, and it's a great product. So it allows the company the ability to bring new things in front of audiences in new ways. I'm lucky enough to get to work with that team on some of the next-gen technologies that they're looking at, and that's been really exciting. I mean, I've been in the space for so long, and to actually be able to influence vehicles as large as HBO Max and, and in as many homes as it's in... For me, I mean, there's there's nothing more fun than getting to play with the tech and actually shipping it to lots of people. Yeah. Can you give us like one cool thing that you're working on or that came out right before this or that you're excited to come out coming off of this whole pandemic back into reality? I'll have to talk about it a little generally, but I will say the areas that I'm experimenting with and building new tech around that are the most exciting is how the company is really taking advantage of, of artificial intelligence and machine learning to do a lot of new things with content. I think there's, you know, there's some sort of straightforward paths that we've seen with AI around recommendation engines and such like that. And don't get me wrong, super, super valuable. But now we're starting to get to play with deeper levels of tech. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the topic of computer vision, but it's where it's actually training the computer to see what's on its own screen. And when you think about that and analyzing patterns and looking at metadata and looking at how is content being watched by consumers and where all these things intersect? It's a little geeky, I'll be honest, but it's a lot of wow. fun. Coming from the guy with the Star Wars mouse, definitely <laughs> geeky. It's just, Kelke, give us a little more details because that's definitely interesting enough a term, you know, being a tech girl in PR that I have not heard of. Sure. So you guys are kind of like, and we know it's all about, you know, the AR, VR, AI, big data has been big. What's some of this new stuff that we have to look forward to? Because, you know, we don't have CES. You know, we don't have any of these events where everything gets launched. So it's, I, let's educate the people of what exactly to look for and what this is about and how it's affecting their content consumption. Sure. Well, where you just started was actually an interesting point. I think in the coming little while, you'll start to see a lot of interesting technology evolutions around using AR, VR in our 5G world. I think, and I don't want to go too long on all the value 5G brings to things because it's sort of a sidetrack for us, but... When most people think 5G just sort of means like faster phones, that's not really the best way to think about it because the truth is the speed advantage is only part of the story. The much more interesting stuff is what's called at the edge of the network or edge computing, where, <laughs> believe this is going to sound funny, but in the cell towers themselves, in the technology platform that enables 5G, we can do a lot more computing right at that edge, which means... When a user, when an audience member wants to do something on their phone or on their tablet, they no longer have to wait for 
whatever they're doing to go all the way off to the cloud, all the way off to some server somewhere, do some calculation, then come all the way back. Things now can happen in much, much closer to real time. So I don't know if you've seen some of the coolest AR stuff that companies like Snapchat have been up to over the past couple of years, but there's a term called immersive AR, where rather than just you know a face filter that makes me look like a dog or something, imagine I can point my, my phone at anything and turn the whole texture differently. So they did an ex- so there was actual, this is before my time, but there was a thing done with Snapchat and Game of Thrones where they turned the Flatiron building into like a Game of Thrones uh, thing. And there's a dragon sitting on top and all this cool stuff. Wow. I think expect to see a lot more big scale AR things where you're pointing your phone at a building or at a, or at a landscape or at a famous uh, icon and just seeing it transformed into much more rich and immersive experiences powered by companies like ours. I think that's something you should expect to see over the next couple of years. And, and Snapchat and Instagram and all these other players will be a big part of it. Yeah, I just think that immersive experience is what, you know, that's what's connecting to consumers. And that's where the brand loyalty is. It's all about the experience they're having. There's an app called Quick Art Pro, and it has such a tremendous, it's not like a Snapchat, but it doesn't put alpacas, faces, and dog ears and bunny rabbits on you. <laughs> it really gives you such an area to where it changes your entire background, not your face. And think like somebody's manipulate your faces, which none of us really believe in because you are who you are. But it gives you an immersive background about the imaging, the colors, and the spectrums. It's I don't know if it's new or not, but a friend said to me like a week or two ago. I think they're fairly new. It's as close to an immersive AR experience you could get without very cool. filters and stuff. It's actually very cool to look at. Just, Love all the AR stuff coming out of the market. Well, when you mention all of this about with immersion, it's really just making life richer, isn't it? I mean, these are individual experiences, but if this just strung together becomes how we live, our lives are actually enriched. Well, yeah, it, it, that's actually a good point that it, it enhances your experience. Absolutely. So, which is why we all want to move into the experiential on the brand consumption, because that's how we stay aligned and low to our brands. So you're just enriching your life by more extravagant, extreme experience in your surroundings that you can share with your other people and take part of in the communities. I couldn't agree more. I think when when we look at what the future ahead and where immersive experiences and and entertainment come together, like everybody is free to choose the path they want. Like I really like just sitting on my couch watching a movie. I'm pretty basic in that regard. But if you haven't seen my favorite example to tell people about, and you guys, you guys know this stuff, so you've probably already seen it, but the, uh, the Travis Scott concert in Fortnite, I think, was such a hallmark for what to expect in the future. When I think of the chance, like 12 million people watched it live, 43 million more people have since experienced, not just via YouTube, but actually inside Fortnite. And I think about that when it comes to movies and shows and, and micro forms of content and like the idea, like, can I have a private screening room in Fortnite with six of my friends and maybe even we're paying for early access to a movie and we're like actually like, I don't know, shooting each other, whatever, whatever is going on in the game while playing. But in real life, I'm actually sitting on my couch eating popcorn. Like what, right. what, what a time to have experiences. Like it's fascinating. Well, I think yeah. because we're all on lockdown and we're not at events, we're not courtside, we're not at, I mean, anything on and off the court, bleachers or not, we're not going out to events. And I just think, Leaning on technology is the only way to survive and to stay connected to the communities and the fans, consumers and whatnot. And like I ran into, it's so funny because I ran into a good friend of mine the other day 
And he is blowing up this, and I can't really talk about mass right now with them, but he's got some of the biggest hitters in music and entertainment and tech who all came in to found this monster platform that's became like a live streaming for content, social, music, topics, games, everything. But it turned into like talk about creative and innovation. They took the content and created and the live streaming and it's turning into its own actual broadcast channel where it's free right. and then there's a premium, you know, virtual meet and greet. I want to go from nine to five, you know, or nine to 10. And I want to see Taylor Swift. I want to watch a game from 11 to 12. But they just built this monster platform that's so tremendously innovative that hopefully knock on wood will take over the new way we consume content next year. But I just think we have so much technology out there and not enough people are taking advantage of it. I think we're forced to take advantage of technology because we always talk about this. We're social creatures. We crave community. We need community and we need tech now to keep our community. So I think that's where the sweet spot is with like studios, like what you're doing and what other people are doing or trying to do there. You know, um, Tom Patton is a director that did the first ever virtual red carpet movie premiere a few weeks ago because of the, obviously the pandemic. Oh, and he said it was movie. very, <laughs> I can't even remember the name of the movie right now, but he even said no one would see my movie if it was just on its own release, you know, at Comic-Con or, or Sundance, whatever. But because of this tech platform, he said it was very ready player one, you know, you, and people remarked that they will never wear a fancy dress and walk a red carpet in real life, but they did it as avatars. They get avatar concessions at the stand and they go into the theater and they watch this. And, and my question to you, Jeremy, is do you think that's kind of what people are starting to prefer more? Or is this possibly just a one-off maybe because of our pandemic and because of, you know, where we are right now in our freedom? Yeah, I think it's a wonderful question that we'll probably be able to keep asking for a while. I think it's it's really too soon to tell. Everybody's reacting to everything, you know, differently. So I think fundamentally, though, I, I go back to where you were starting that statement with, like, by bringing these experiences to people, we give them the opportunities to escape whatever they need. Because, you know, if you're an introvert and just really like being at home and, and all that, this this isn't so bad. If you're a super nightclub outside, you know, that kind of person, this is a nightmare. So, <laughs> you know, wherever you land on that spectrum, hopefully what the entertainment industry is able to do is create more and more and more options, right? We've seen since the pandemic hit, you know, HBO Max and, and Peacock both launched in that same, and Quibi all launched in that same time frame. We've seen the rise of the watch party services through Netflix and Disney Plus and others. And we'll expect to see more of that kind of everywhere we go. We're starting to see more and more conjoined kind of experiences that are inherently social. You know, rise of games like Fall Guys and Among Us, I think, are, are also interesting events where they're, they're all highly social games. Like right now would be the normally the time where like the latest Call of Duty or Madden game would be the hottest things on the Xbox or PS4. And instead, the hottest games aren't actually the most beautiful graphics or the most, you know, fastest gameplay. They're the social games. And I think that's an interesting signal for us to pay attention to. I think that's where like esports is going to start taking off too, because it's already, it's already been virtual and now it's just getting bigger and bigger during this Mm -hmm. pandemic. I just, you know, and I'm so on the fence with you, Michelle, because I agree with you and Jeremy in one sense. Yes, this is the new normal and it's easier and you have more accessibility and everything being at home. But I think on the flip side, 
people are starting to get, they're going to get restless. I mean, we've all seen what's been going on. We don't need to get into the politics of what's going on in the U.S. right now. But I feel like we do want to get back out. I mean, if you are an introvert, yes, being at home is fine. But I mean, I you know I'm in PR, so I'm constantly out of the stuff. And like, I can't wait. Like, I can't wait to get back into the sports, into the live events, into the networking, because, you know, I do have the long dresses, the shoes and shoes and more and more shoes and everything I want to wear and be <laughs> out there. But at the same time, I'm kind of embracing the calmness of doing what I want, when I want on my schedule via the Zooms and via the content and the live streaming. So I, I think you're right, Jeremy. I just, I just think it's too, there's no there there. So it's a little too early to tell where we're going to end up. I think we may be split down the middle to where we are back out live again, talking, mingling, back to normal. But I think there's a part of all of us, we're not going to let go of what we have now because there's something about that that we want to keep. And it's right. more of a, it's more, I think it's finding the balance of both things we love in a calmer environment. So I think it does give us more options for community connections without being the community, unless we really want to go get dressed up and go out to a club or to a sporting event. But mm-hmm. I, I think you said that very well. I think I think the way you framed it, it, it is about giving people the options, right? Like, and I think also about common sense layer in the middle, right? Like, how do we, <laughs> how do we give people sensible options and help them through all this as opposed to everybody going stir crazy and, and making bad decisions because they're just so pent up with gotta get out, gotta get out, gotta get out. Because look, over time, obviously everything will get better in whatever way that is. But I also agree with something you were just saying, Sarah, which is whatever that new normal is, won't be quite the same, right? Yeah. Like, I got to tell you, I love the fact that we're a lot more tolerant of each other's, you know, as we were talking earlier, pets or babies and whatever's going on that makes, you know, eight hours a day of Zoom calls a little hard. But now we've all seen each other's living rooms. We've all seen each other's babies and dogs and whatever. And I think it's helping humanize us all to each other in a really, I hope, very positive manner. You're not just more accessible. It's more authentic. I mean, I joke around like all the time, Michelle, you know, if I need a break, I'll go work out. I'm like, okay, this is the non-filter look. And like my office at home was up looking a monster runway shoe wall. And it was funny because I'm not going to explain this to this CEO. What the hell, sir? You have like... 20,000 shoes and little, whatever. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, we're all at home, you know, pets. Like my, I think when my kitty Stoli Stoli came up in the last, last week, that started me out when I was like, oh my God, I hope that's going to be edited out. (laughs) And like, you know, I started growing vegetables and stuff in the back. But I think that people, I run a podcast, so what do I care? I think people are such assholes (laughs) before this. And I feel like they're more compassionate, they're more sympathetic more caring, more, hey, let's let's create, let's get innovative, but let's keep our community. And it's, it's going to be, it's more, you can relate more to somebody who is showing up in a baseball hat and a t-shirt, you know, on a Zoom call, on a meeting or an interview. It's not that whole prim and proper like it used to be. So I think it's really finding the balance of the authentic you that's approachable, that's authentic, and it's like that. It's like our Zoom call, seeing you with the little Star Trek mask, you have the alpaca, <laughs> even though you're on video. It makes you more approachable and makes you more connected to that person yeah. around. And I think that's so critical that we all overlooked up until we were forced to actually stop, breathe, 
and realize that's the important part of a relationship. And doing it's humanized us, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that's well said. That took a minute to get that out. Okay. So well done. So let's go back and this is, you know, good, better, and different. We're stuck with a pandemic. It's gonna get better. Yeah, it could get worse before it gets better come winter. But at the end of the day, we learn from our past experiences and we always push forward to the next thing and never give up. I met you <laughs> without aging any of us <laughs> a long time ago when you were at Celine, the whole set top. So you've kind of had a trajectory of staying in innovation and content. Let's kind of like roll back time here a second. Jeremy, and tell us how you got into Warner Media and your background, because you've been in content and tech in that intersection since we've known you. I'll be honest, I sort of stumbled my way in before Sling. And once I got in, I, I never really wanted to leave. I've dabbled in some other industries over time. But I, I've always said the, the I've actually been saying this since my early 20s, is I clearly wasn't put on this planet to transplant a kidney or cure a disease. But hopefully the work I do can help entertain those people because their jobs are obviously super important. And I just have a lot of passion for, lack of a better phrase, for taking the, the pains that technology often brings out of a media experience, right? Like as much, mm. as much as we love what tech can offer us, it often makes certain things a little harder along the way. So I kind of am driven by how do we make wonderful media experiences that people love doing where it's so good and so seamless and so much fun that you're never thinking about the technology, right? Like that's that's been what's driving me. So my path to Warner Media candidly started, you know, early 20s. I co-founded a company called Mediabolic, actually with my cousin, and we were building a middleware platform for connected consumer electronics devices back in 1999. Wow. With HP, we built the first ever digital media receiver product, which is basically the predecessor to Roku's and Apple TVs and Fire TVs and whatnot. From there and that background, which is a combination of software and hardware, I met the team from Sling and was brought in to help them build the original Sling box back in 2004. Uh, along the way, MediaBot got acquired by Macrovision, which is now part of TiVo. So that company went off and had some great successes. Sling then got acquired by Dish in uh, 2007. I spent a few years consulting with a variety of startups all not all in the media space, but companies like Boxy, Dropcam, Sonos, and others, and just kept finding different angles of how to be involved in, in the field. I then had my own startup, which was called Digit, and we were building a, a TV discovery platform called Next Guide that was all about what we called hyper-personalization with a goal of really finding you nuggets of, of content you might want to watch based on algorithms that weren't often in play. So we would, for example try to pair you up. Maybe you're really into kite surfing. So we would find you an episode of, I don't know, Magnum PI where they go kite surfing or something like that. <laughs> really tried to hone in on that like personal experience. We got acquired and actually I was about to do another startup and my kids had gotten a little older and I said, you know, it's about time to not be working all the time and really get to enjoy time with these kids. And uh, from there, Went over to CBS when I was still living in San Francisco. Was running product in the CBS Interactive team, leading CNET and a couple of the other brands. And got a real understanding of the publishing space because I had obviously experience around TV and, and hardware, but not really on the publishing side. So that was a really great journey. Got to lead a large team. And you know, CNET was the number one tech news site on the planet. So it was really 
you know, something to be really proud of and, and watching the changing scale from kind of startup life to big company life. From there, a couple of things along the way, but ended up at Warner Media about a year ago, running product for the Innovation Lab, which has been nonstop fun. That's the short version. I can I can dive in anywhere you want. <laughs> That's we fantastic. don't have a long and short version. It depends what intersection we're at. Can you tell us a little more about the Innovation Lab specifically? Absolutely. So we're we're kind of two things in one. We're we're actually building out a physical space. This was announced, uh, geez, about a year and a half ago, and that's going to be in Chelsea District of Manhattan. And it's a large facility, state of the art. Actually, we have our own five G installation in the building, all designed around creating new types of experiences. So we have virtual living rooms. We have a lot of areas that let us play with interactivity that hasn't been done before, with everything from real-world technologies like motion sensing and, and touch-sensitive, and uh, again, lots and lots of cameras doing lots and lots of cool stuff. We have the ability to run events from there using the immersive technologies we're building. So the whole lab space is coming together really nicely. Um, obviously, COVID slowed a lot of things down, but the physical place will be up and running pretty soon. In addition to that, we're also a services organization. So we're kind of a, a products lab, if you a virtual products lab, if you will. Our job is to look at innovation from a cross-brand perspective at Warner Media. And that's sort of a mouthful. But if you think about like CNN and HBO and, and all of the brands we have, WB, et cetera, there's tons of innovation already happening in this company. It's not like we're the innovation team. <laughs> what we do though is we look at how do we either A, help one or more brands effectively level up ahead of competition? Like how do we skip ahead, not just catching up in some cases, but how do we leapfrog where others are today to try to be the leader in something by tomorrow? So that can be either for one brand or across the brands. And then we also look at technology solutions that could apply across the company. So how can something we might build for a Adult Swim also apply to a Team Coco or CNN or something like that. And we're one of the few areas of the company where we're really looking at that cross-brand solutions. Does that help? Uh, does that help make a little sense? Yeah, it's well? exciting. Wow. It's a playground. Because I know there's a lot of studios and a lot of accelerators out there. And you guys are breaking some tremendous ground in the immersive experiential space with this. You guys have like an accelerator program in the innovation lab for startups to gain experience and knowledge on this or is it strictly all internal to Warner? We're figuring that out again. Our original vision was that the space itself would allow us to actually physically bring people in, co-locate in the office, have access to all of our IP and do all sorts of amazing yeah. things. I mean, that's, that was like a huge part of the vision. Obviously, you know, the world world's changed its mind for a little while. Uh, when it changes back, we'll, we'll be able to deal with that again. It's <laughs> um, a nice way to put it. But that's still part of the ambition, right? Like, you know, you think about giant media companies like mine, and fundamentally, we're all on this unavoidable path of becoming technology companies, right? Where media is the product that we use, but fundamentally, it's all about the tech. So however we can accelerate learning and experiential offerings by partnering with startups, but not just startups, I want to be engaging with students, I want to be engaging with, with individual contributors, with artists, like, if you go to Instagram and look at what people are doing with technology, especially like jailbreaking their phones, be able to use all the sensors to, to do so many more things. I mean, there's some amazingly creative people out there. And so part of the function of the lab is how do we help bridge individuals 
to this behemoth company with, with again, huge media assets and actually make it all work. Because historically, that's been a bit of a, of a challenge. We're pretty optimistic on our ability to do that. And I think as the company embraces technology change further and further down its path, I think you'll just see more and more of that, not just from us, but from everybody. Yeah, I just, yeah. it's amazing to me how some of these sports and entertainment are embracing more and more innovation technology. You know? Well, they, you know, they have to. At the end of the day, we're all, you know, Reed Hastings made a comment about how it's sort of, Reed Hastings from Netflix made a comment that we're all up against Fortnite for mindset and attention from a team. <laughs> it's accurate. And I, and I agree. Look, back when I was doing the Slingbox and people said, well, who do you compete with? At the time, I said, well, we compete with game consoles because it's a similarly priced product and they both are there to entertain you. So you're going to choose, maybe they have different functions, but, the, but that's how you think about it. So now we look at it where, I mean, I just saw a research report that said that the average North American is spending 10 hours a day in front of some form of digital entertainment. And again, between sleeping, eating, and working, I'm not sure where those 10 hours all come from. (laughs) There are Zoom calls all day, every day with everybody. It must be. I think the thing is, we were in a, like, it used to be content wars. Content is always king and all the content and originals with Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, everybody. And now it's becoming distribution wars because, I mean, with COVID, unfortunately, it slowed production down. And, you know, I haven't really seen anything new come out. You know, like you said, Peacock was amazing. I was so glad that um, NBC launched that. But I now think it's not so much the fight for original content and who has the best content. It's the fight for getting these libraries out in distribution and on the channels because we're going to have a big gap pretty soon. I mean, everybody was shooting short of maybe one or two in the finales that they were able to make up for in the past month or two. But we're going to hit, um, if you look at the showrunner schedule, we're going to hit dead air in spring because nothing was made for six to nine months. So I think this is the time to start figuring out well, who are your consumers? What do they want? How do they want to be reached and be entertained? Whether it's sports, music, movies, AR, VR, immersive experiences. Now is going to be a critical time to fill this gap of you know, from Netflix to Amazon to Hulu, where we have nothing going on anymore, given the pandemic stopped everything in production. So I think it's going to be interesting to see where the innovation and content is driving out to the marketplace in spring. Well, I think, you know, for I think there's just a little bit of a silver lining here, which, which is a fewfold. One, if I had to be a betting person, I would bet on a influx of more international content over the next few months. There are some, I don't know about you guys, I'm watching the show Money Heist. On oh my gosh. I'm, okay, I'm sorry. I got too excited there. I binged every single show, so I cannot talk to you. I'm going to give it away. I literally became so obsessed. I'm sorry. I just got to tell this real quickly. I started watching it, I think, <laughs> a year or two ago when I was recuperating from a surgery. And I was like, okay, this is good. I got hurt. And I, you could tell halfway through into season two, Jeremy, you could tell when Netflix came in, I was like, holy shit, this has potential and dumped all the money into this thing. It was like on rocket boosters. It was so good. I'm so obsessed. It's like season five just ended with a big cliffhanger. I've binged every single season episode. <laughs> I'm just that. counting. When, when is it coming back? I won't tell you anything. I'm not going to tell you anything else. I promise. You guys, you two have to go see it yourself. I just answer right. questions. Yeah. Here it is. <laughs> 
but <laughs> but and so as you know, that's a Spanish show, right? I think I think you're going to see a lot of that. Netflix had another hit show uh, from Germany called Dark. There's a few shows that have been imported from Israel. There's a lot of stuff coming in from South America now. I think we're going to see a lot of that to make up for it. I think you also should expect to see a lot more animation because that was one area where work could continue in many ways. And I think, candidly, look, the, the pace of what it takes to bring a sitcom to market, it's pretty speedy, right? So I, I don't think they'll be as far behind as we might have thought they would have been, if that makes sense, phrasing-wise. I think the, you know, what's the phrase? Nature of horrors a vacuum. I think the content will flow one way or another. Yeah, the Umbrella Academy is another good one. Just FYI, while we're talking shows. But it, it's so funny because I see the Dolly on buses before close to Halloween or what if we have a Halloween from a money heist. You're starting, you're starting to see the commercial branding out in the streets and stuff. Okay, I can't give any more away. I'm sorry. Yeah, no more, no more money heist talk. I regret this entirely. <laughs> Let's just put that packet back on. <laughs> you, but, com- I, but compared to movies, uh, full feature films, which often take years to produce. So that is an interesting point, Jeremy, that this is a much quicker turnkey process for series versus films. So maybe we're just going to get more into these kinds of storylines instead of just a one hour, two hour product. I, I think that's fair. And I think, I, I don't remember what it was, but I already saw on uh, Something hit my feed, some, one of these feeds, I guess. There's already a show in development that's basically like, I think, I don't know if it's a sitcom or a drama, but it's set in a family in COVID. Like they're wearing masks and they're they're dealing with stuff. And it's, you know, I don't know how the production's working. I don't know if it's all fictionalized. I don't know if it's just being produced in someone's house. I have no idea. But if you think about it, like there's no reason we have to stop everything. And now that we're in this you know, once we moved out of the phase where where we weren't sure how it was being transmitted and all that, I think a lot of opportunities started reopening fairly quickly on the production side. But, you know, we'll, it'll definitely have its impact. We'll see. I mean, look, the movie industry is definitely going to be the the biggest question mark for, for what do we get coming back into it. Well, movies aren't like, I, mean, I know I'm like, because we're, you know, based in L.A., Orange County, I think, opened a few movie theaters. But L.A. is still like the huge Red X. There was no movie theaters then. You know, movies are still hitting their release times because you see them in movie theaters in June, July, August. And I do feel for them because they're not going to get those box office numbers in, which is why if you look at the Trolls World Tour and James Bond, Milan. One with Steve Milan, one with Steve Carell. That was a great one. They, you know, it was $20 on versus, you know, Netflix or on Prime versus, but you figure if your ticket costs, not including popcorn and, Soda is around fifteen to twenty dollars. It's even easier because you can bring all your people over, your kids over, you know, hopefully spaced apart, and they could see all that. So I think there is going to be a lot more of that coming up. But I going back to what Michelle said, I think the series are easier because you could do four, five series, take a little bit of a break, and keep going forward. So I do think it's going to change, give or take, the box offices, and they're going to open. Let's just be honest. Everything is going to open again, whatever our new normal is. It will be back to that again down the road. But I think between now and then, it's a lot more opportunity to pivot right and left on how you're delivering the content and what you're delivering. But Jeremy, I got a question for you, which is interesting because Netflix is rolling their top 10 reality shows out. And I mean, creative, all the drama and trash. Do you think with COVID, it's more reality shows coming up like that? 
versus, you know, normal series and then these international ones like Money Heist? Or do you think that's also COVID's playing a shift on the type of shooting that is coming out into the market? I would guess it's playing a shift more in the timeliness of things. So we'll see a spat of reality shows and then we'll see a spat of like, again, comedies are the fastest to develop, then dramas, then thrillers and things like that. So I think in each case, it'll sort of probably parallel. I'll be candid is my area of expertise is not on the production side. So I, I don't want to comment too strongly over there, but it does seem like we on the media side, we are all in this together. So we all know we have to be creative, right? So if you're a, a writer, a director, a producer, whatever you are in the food chain of things, we're all making our own versions of sacrifice. So that's a writer has to work in a reality show that they normally prefer scripted. I'm pretty sure you're going to have some talented people writing some of those reality shows for a while until they can get back to doing what they love doing. Yeah, I think you said it well. You know, I know we got to wrap soon for time is that we're all in this together. It's at the end of the day, you know, we wake up every morning to be a better person, to better our community, our company, our environment, our consumers. We are all in this together trying to fight for the normalcy and for the same end goal to, I mean, obviously make money, entertain others and make others successful. And I just think people forget that, hey, you're not alone. We are as a team, creatively, business-wise, strategically, media, we are all in this together. So it's a great time to collaborate, to bond and to actually say, okay, we can work together to be better in the end. And I just think that's important that a lot of people may be forgetting through all this madness right now going on. Right. I, I think that was really, really well said, by the way. Ah, thank you. Oh, my God. So so for everybody, Jeremy, so we thought it's Warner Media. For anybody who wants to know what's going on and what's innovating over at Warner, where can we send them to? Where What's a good place for them to reach out? You know, Warner actually is a company that does a, quite a bit of work on social to keep the word out there. So whether it's more professional like LinkedIn or more casual Facebook and Twitter, it we're out there on all the platforms. The lab itself, we, we are, again, still working on some of how we're going to communicate and what's going to the outside world and what's not. Because part of our goal is to bring as much transparency to what we do as we can. These are just weird times. So a lot of the things we had thought up and planned to do are, are a little up for grabs. But we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have that all figured out in, in the coming months. So for everybody who wants to get hold of you directly, partnership content, immersive, alpaca farms, how can they reach you? I am shockingly easy to find because I'm the bearer of a unique name. So if you basically Google my name, you'll find me anywhere you want. But LinkedIn's always easy. I tend to respond to just about everybody who reaches out there. You can find me at Twitter at Jay Toman. I'm not as active there because of all the politics and all that I would try to stay away yeah. from. I'm not really on any of the other social platforms very actively. So those are the two easiest ways to find me. But you know, if anybody you know does need to reach out, they can always reach out the Medium Mavens podcast as well if they need to get, get a hold of you. But Jeremy, thank you so much for being on our show today. It was such a great afternoon spending it with you. We kind of went full circle on the content, but we'd love to have you back again so we could finish our journey of Money Heist and what else is going on in the innovation world. This is Sarah Mill with Access Entertainment and Media Maven Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Michelle Koshman. Thank you so much for another wonderful podcast afternoon, Michelle. And thank you, Jeremy Toman at Warner Media for taking the time to spend with us today. Thanks so much. It was a blast. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Media Mavens Podcast. 
If you don't want to miss an episode or you want to find past episodes, subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider. For more information, go to MediaMavensPodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.